0: Can you believe it that we are in the final chapter of the story today? The final chapter? We started October 15th. So how many months is that? About eight months? We've been going through the, through the Word of God from beginning to end and seeing the thread of the story of what God is saying through the whole thing. We read it in chronological order, and it was put together in this resource called The Story. I still recommend it to you. It's a huge blessing to see everything there all at once. But today is... The, is the end. The end times of the story. And we're going to be in Revelation today. Following this Sunday, there's going to be some, some more sermons that we feel called to, called to give. But Our next series in several weeks that we're starting is a short summer series where we answer your questions. Or we respond to them if we can't answer them. I kind of prefer that. Uh, so people that are preaching are going to be taking your questions that you have about the Bible, about God and we're going to do our best to hear from God and share something on that topic. So at this point, you can write down a question on a piece of paper and put it in the, uh, the basket that's out there in the lobby. You can email the office. You can go on our website and uh, just on the web form, give us that question. And we'd love to be answering as many questions as we can starting next week. But when we, um, when we started this, this, uh, this sermon series, you know, my hope was that, you know, we would come to Easter, we'd come to even Revelation, feeling like we have a, we have a grasp of like what this is saying and, and understand it in a better way. And I think that, I, I trust that this is something that has been useful for you. So I, I find it very fascinating to, to hear about other cultures and the way that they celebrate things. I'm always secretly jealous of richer uh, cultures, they have a little bit more of the pick up a guy in a chair and dance around the room singing, he's a jolly good fellow kind of energy. Um, it's fun to watch different wedding ceremonies where they'll, um, you know, different things that people do where they're crushing, crushing something and, or, or, or stepping over the, um, the, 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 into the household of someone else and all these symbols. And the Bible talks an awful lot about marriage as a dominant metaphor in the Bible for the relationship between Christ and the church. And so I think it's important when we're going to read about marriage in the Bible that we understand what would have come to mind for the people that originally read the Bible and what would have come to mind and how can our understanding of how the Bible, the culture the Bible is written in relate to us in our modern day. So here's utterly, to me, utterly fascinating thing. Um, when there was a young young guy who was interested in a young lady, uh, he, had to, he had to think long and hard because in that culture, it was a very solid patriarchal system. The father was not just the father of his own family, but he was the father of everyone that lived in his household. So there's like the head patriarch, the old, old guy, the, the dad, and he's got his, um, his daughter and his sons-in-law living in the house with him, in the household. So you have to have a good, you have to have a good um, relationship with your in-laws. So this is how, this is how things went. And at any point, this whole process could be thrown for a loop. This is how things went. Young man notices the girl, and he says, oh, I, I need to, I'm going to make an offer to her father, like, like a gift. The idea is you'd give a gift to the father in return for his daughter's hand in marriage. And uh, if you offered too little in his eyes for his daughter, he could turn you down, and that's the end of your, that's the end of your uh, marriage with that person. It's not going to happen. So what young men would do is they would ask around, just ask around town, like, what do you know about Mr. Johnson? Like, what do you think he would like as a gift? You know, how much do you think I should get? Like, is he someone that would appreciate a whole lot of cattle or someone that would like a piece of artwork or something like this or, you know, uh, free coffee for a month, whatever it is. So the young man would ask around very diligently. And of course, Mr. Johnson is aware that this is going on. He sees this young guy going around and he's just having the time of his life uh, thinking about what you might get. So, the idea is your offer, your offer could not be too little because you might have blown it at that point. If you offer too little and the, and the dad says, Sorry, that's, you've undervalued my daughter, <laughs> that's the end. I and mean, you could have mercy and, give, and let you have another chance. But let's say that I went to, to Mr. Chandler and I said, uh, You know, I'll give you 40 cows for your beautiful daughter, Jackie, stand <laughs> in marriage. If he thought that Jackie's worth was greater than 40 cows, which I believe it is, um, then I could be in big trouble. But all I had to do was go to Denny's with Mr. Chandler and ask his permission, <laughs> which is what I did. If you, if you go to this Denny's in Saratoga Springs on of Fifteen, you know, you, like fifteen years ago, I sat with Greg fourteen years ago and asked his permission for Jackie's hand, and he gave he gave me permission. No cattle were required, <laughs> or NCR, no cattle required. Um, so, so the the bridegroom, the 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 young suitor would make this offer. The father accepts the offer. You know what? You threw in those five sheep, the 40 cattle, and this gold. That sounds good to me. And he, re- he then releases the son-in-law to, to go forward in getting married. It gets even greater. So then, the, the, the prospective son-in-law goes to the father's house and he has to build onto the house a suite for him and his wife. He has to build like an extra room on the tent. Many times they've lived in tents. He had to build a whole area for he and his wife to live in. And he wasn't allowed to marry the, the daughter until this dwelling was, in the eyes of the father, good enough for his daughter and, and her son-in-law. So he would be working on this day and night, trying to get this thing prepared. Um, this is actually similar to the way that people, like Bedouin people live today in, in, uh, in, in the desert culture there. In the in the Middle East, but uh, he'd work in this house. Work in this house. The father-in-law would would inspect it, give some feedback. Finally, when the father was okay with the the lodging, okay with the bride price, then the father would say to him, "Okay, you can marry my daughter." And then you think, "Oh, well, there's six months of wedding planning." Then you use DJs, the whole deal. No, you got married then, like at that time, day or night. Let's say you finish at 2 in the morning and the Father gives you the permission at 2.30. You go and get your bride-to-be and you get married that night. This is one of the ways things went in those days. So with that in mind, we're we're going to read a parable from Matthew 25. This is a parable that Jesus wrote about the end times when Jesus will come back For his bride, the church. And take her to be with God and him forever in in paradise. So listen to the words of this. At that time, the kingdom of heaven will be like ten virgins who took their lamps and went out to meet the bridegroom. Five of them were foolish and five were wise. The foolish ones took their lamps but did not take any oil with them. The wise ones, however, took oil in jars along with their lamps. The bridegroom was a long time in coming, and they all became drowsy and fell asleep. At midnight the cry rang out, Here's the bridegroom! Come out to meet him. Then all the virgins woke up and trimmed their lamps. The foolish one said to the wise, Give us some of your oil, our lamps are going out. No, they replied, There may not be enough for both of us and for you. Instead, go to those who sell oil and buy some for yourselves. But while they were on their way to buy the oil, the bridegroom arrived. The virgins who were ready went in with him to the wedding banquet and the door was shut. Later the others also came, "Lord, Lord," they said, "open the door for us." But he replied, "Truly I tell you, I don't know you." Therefore keep watch, because you do not know the day or the hour. Hour of what? Well, we go into Matthew 20:24, 20, it's called the mini apocalypse, the book of Matthew chapter 24. It's talking about the day and the hour when Jesus will come back and everything will come to an end. And of this day, Jesus says, no one knows the day or the hour, but only my Father who's in heaven. But the day is coming. And he says, therefore, keep watch, because you do not know on what day your Lord will come. But understand this, if the owner of the house had known at what time or night the thief was coming, he would have kept watch would not have let his house be broken into. So you also must be ready, because the Son of Man will come at an hour when you do not expect him. Who then is the faithful and wise servant whom the Master has put in charge of the servants in his household to give them their food at the proper time? It will be good for that servant whose Master finds him doing so when he returns. Truly I tell you, he will put him in charge of all of his possessions. But suppose the servant is wicked and says to himself, my master is a long time in coming. And then he begins to beat his fellow servants and eat and drink with drunkards. The master of that servant will come on a day when he does not expect him and of an hour he is not aware of. He will cut him to pieces and assign him a place with the hypocrites where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. The idea is, Jesus is coming back. The day or the hour we do not know but we do know that God typically in history works in large, large chunks of time. You know, talking about from creation to to Abraham, to the patriarchs, to Isaiah, Jeremiah, Ezekiel, Nehemiah, Malachi, to Jesus. These are long periods of time. But just because it's taking a long time doesn't mean it's not coming. You know, Jesus is coming back. He's coming back for his bride, which consists of men and women who are Who are ready for Him when He comes? Who have whose names are written in the Lamb's Book of Life? Who have trusted God for salvation? He's coming back for those people. And there's another verse that talks about this. Jesus says, "In My Father's house there are many rooms. If this were not so, I wouldn't, I would have told you. I'm going there to prepare a place for you." What does that remind you of? The 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 bridegroom preparing a place in the Father's house for each person. A mansion. It says, "Many mansions." For each person whose name is written in the Lamb's book of life. Jesus, our, our bridegroom, has gone. He ascended into heaven after his resurrection and his appearing over 40 days. He ascended to heaven. He said, in the same way that you see me going up, you're going to see me come down again. In the same way, you're going to see me come down again. And what's he doing? Well, he prepared a place for us in the Father's house. He built on, if you will. And the imagery is just beautiful. The bridegroom is working very hard on our behalf as we are waiting for him. He's preparing a place for us. He's working uh, in his world. When we first uh, began our series in the story, my first sermon was, was called A Tale of Two Gardens. And in this story, we learned about the special land in Eden where God prepared a place for human flourishing, and for a relationship with God to flourish, He created. He it says that out of, out of out of chaos and darkness, God fashioned this beautiful, luscious garden in the middle of the desert, if you will. You know, in this arid climate, with rivers running through and and trees and beautiful things. And this is before sin entered the world, when humankind was uh, was was uh, was falling away and was having difficulty. So God created this garden. He put His people in it. Uh, they, they disobeyed God's clear command and he, um, and he banished them from that garden. Humanity kept on breaking from that time of the fall until uh, till the end of the stories we read in the Old Testament as we went through the Old Testament. Humanity just keeps on breaking the terms of the covenant with God and God can, keeps on faithfully keeping his end of the bargain, if you will. Uh, God desires a people for himself. I say this all the time. He, desi- he desires that his people dwell and flourish in an environment that he's created just for them and have, have, a, have a relationship with him where they walk intimately with him day by day. That's God's desire. In, in the garden with Adam and Eve, it says that Adam, Adam and Eve heard the Lord God walking in the garden in the cool of the day. They'd heard this noise before every other day Um, that they've lived in the garden. And and usually they would go out and meet with him and walk with him. But this time they hid themselves because of their sin. And they they knew that they were naked and they felt extreme shame. You know, kind of the person that can't make eye contact because it's just so full of shame. And and God said, did you do what I asked you not to do? And they said, yes, we did. And so as, as part of this judgment in Genesis 3, God says you know, labor pains are going to be increased for women. And for, for men and women working, uh, it's going to be more difficult. You're going to cultivate the land, but it's not going to produce these luscious crops for you like you had in Eden. It's going to be difficult. And he said to the serpent who, who deceived Eve, Adam the Satan, he said, Cursed are you above all livestock and all wild animals. You'll crawl on your belly, and you'll eat dust all the days of your life. I will put enmity between you and the woman, between your offspring and hers. He will crush your head, you will strike his heel. Right all the way back in Genesis 3, as, as humans and, uh, and, and the devil are receiving their judgment, there's a promise of God hidden in this passage that uh, there will be enmity between the offspring of Satan and the offspring of the woman, that Satan will strike his heel, but someone else is going to come and crush the head of the devil. Crush Satan. And this is, uh, this is, this is the promise God made. And through this promise of, of future deliverance through, through, a, through, a, through a Savior, God's simple desire is still just to have a people for Himself living in the land He's prepared for them where they can flourish, uh, that's flowing with milk and honey, a land where sin, sickness, disease, pain, and death do not get to have the last word anymore. Wouldn't that be nice? Sickness, disease, death, pain, they do not get to have the last word. Uh, in in this place God's prepared for us. And where God can once again dwell with his people in a perfect, unbroken fellowship without sin getting in the way of things and messing things up. This has been God's desire all along, and he promised to do it by crushing the head of the serpent. Uh, So we got through all the Old Testament, through Genesis all the way down to to the Minor Prophets. We saw the Israelites enter into the Promised Land in a half-hearted and partially disobedient way, and just what got worse and worse and worse, and eventually this, this vision of having a land and a people and dwelling among his people was, was kind of crushed by their disbelief. And, um, and so we saw the people of Israel become deported. We saw the people of, um, well, actually Judah were the, the survivors, but a lot of the Israelites just perished and didn't, didn't do very well. And we read about people like Daniel in Babylon who were trying to follow God in that environment. But I remember how sad I felt that morning. I think we all were bummed out. Having read the Old, the Old Testament... And then seeing, like, wow, the dream of God to have a paradise-like place, a land flowing with milk and honey, a promised land, and a people who live in unbroken communion with me is, is, is dashed. Is dashed to, to the ground. But the thing is, it's not. It looked a little bit derailed, but we have to remember, there wasn't, anyone, there wasn't anyone that crushed the head of Satan back then. You know, we needed a deliverer. We needed Jesus to come and do that. And... um. And that's, that's something that Jesus did at the cross. He defeated sin and death at the cross. You know, if, if someone kills you and you rise again in three days, then what can, what can possibly come at you that you can't handle? You know, Jesus' Jesus's resurrection power was released when he rose from the dead It crushed the head of Satan and sealed his fate. He's going, to be, he's going to be done away with someday. And everything that's happened in the last 2,000 years since Jesus crushed the head of Satan, you know, the, the good and the bad in the world, Evil, uh, you know, things, things, history is coming to a crescendo, history is coming to an ending point, and there will be a day when God is going to get his vision, his dream that we live with him in unbroken fellowship and communion, where we live in a land that he provides for us and we flourish, a land where sin and sickness, disease and death do not get to have the last word, and God's dream is secured. As I said, and you know, to us it seems like it's been a very long time since Jesus came and died and rose again. But God has worked over thousands of years in the world. And we are now in this this final phase since since Jesus came and rose again, where there's just one more stretch of time called the end times that we live through, and then the end will come. Some people think that God is slow at keeping his promises. And this is what Peter was talking about in 2 Peter 3.9. The Lord is not slow in keeping his promise, as some understand slowness. Instead, he is patient with you, not wanting anyone to perish, but everyone to come to repentance. So we are living, we are living in the last days. And even though the master has been gone for some time, it's not because he is not coming back. Jesus is allowing... The people who have decided to do evil, to just continue doing evil, the people that have decided to live for him, to keep living for him, and then at an undetermined time, he's going to come back. And the question is, are we ready? Are we waiting for the bridegroom? Or have we severely, insufficiently supplied our, our oil for our lamps? I really want to be found ready when Jesus comes. Whether that be you know, being hit by a car this week, that's when I'm going to meet Jesus, Right? Or we wait till the time when Jesus comes and takes His church. I want to be ready on that day. I want to be ready because I know there's something far greater destined for me and for everyone I love in the church. It's it's the second Garden of Eden that God is building in the world. And this is what we read about in Genesis in Revelation 20. So what we're reading today it really it matters big time for for eternity. It matters. It matters that we take this to heart and that we, we, we make ourselves ready for Jesus at all times for his return. So I'm going to close with just reading from Revolution 20 because as much as I prayed about um, how I could write or how I could think about this, just reading the text for me is such a powerful experience. And I hope it is for you as well, given all we've talked about. So I'm just going to read from Matthew 20 as we close. And some of these topics we're going to be talking about this summer. If there's things that are confusing to you, some of these topics are going to be one-off sermons this summer. But the time we have left in in, uh, Revelation 20, John is seeing a vision of the end times, the end of end times, like the final phase of the end times when Jesus comes back. And John says, Then I saw a great white throne and him who was seated on it. The earth and the heavens fled from his presence, and there was no place for them. And I saw the dead, great and small, standing before the throne, and books were opened. It's such a capturing of my imagination to imagine children, to imagine young people and adults you know, standing before God's throne. Great and small, young and old, standing before the throne. And the books were opened. Another book was opened, besides those other two books, which is the book of life. The dead were judged according to what they had done, As recorded in those books, the sea gave up the dead that were in it, and death and Hades gave up the dead that were in them, and each person was judged according to what they had done. Then death and Hades were thrown into the lake of fire. The lake of fire is the second death. Anyone whose name was not found written in the book of life was thrown into the lake of fire. Listen, it's talking about salvation through Christ. And whether you're acutely aware of yourself as a sinner, as I I tend to be very aware of my short or you think you're a pretty good person. The fact is that all of us were born into sin. You know, we didn't, even, we didn't necessarily even choose it. We were born into it. We have the stain of sin on us. We need a deliverer to deliver us so that our names can be in the Lamb's Book of Life. It's only through Christ. It's not through our works. Our works will, will attest to the truth of us following Jesus, but they will not save us. Only being in the Lamb's Book of Life can save us. And everyone whose name is written in that book has nothing to fear. Um, there's no no judgment coming for you. Fear has to do with with, uh, punishment. There's no punishment for those who have been forgiven freely by Christ. Revelation 21. Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth. Think about the Garden of Eden. For the first heaven and the first earth had passed away. There was no longer any sea. I saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride beautifully dressed for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, look, God's dwelling place is now among the people and he will dwell with them. They will be his people and God himself will be with them and be their God. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes. There will be no more death or mourning or crying or pain for the old order of things has passed away. This is God's vision from the beginning of the book. A people for himself where he dwells among them. And sin and death is done away with. And then he who was seated on the throne said, this is God speaking, I am making everything new. Then he said, write this down, for these words are trustworthy and true. He said to me, it is done. I am the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end. To the thirsty I will give water without cost from the spring of the water of life. Listen, this, this is what we're talking about with being, having your name written in the Lamb's Book of Life. Without cost, God gives you to drink the spring of water of life. Those who are victorious will inherit all of this, and I will be their God, and they will be my children. But the cowardly, the unbelieving, the vile, the murderers, the sexually immoral, those who practice magic arts, the idolaters, and the liars, they will be consigned to the fiery lake of burning sulfur. This is the second death. One of the seven angels who had seven bowls full of the seven last plagues came and said to me, Come, I will show you the bride, the wife of the Lamb, And he carried me away in the Spirit to a mountain great and high, and showed me the holy city, Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God. It shone with the glory of God, and its brilliance was like that of very precious jewel, like a jasper, clear as crystal. It had a great high wall with twelve gates, and with twelve angels at the gates. On the gates were written the names of the twelve tribes of Israel. There were three gates on the east, three on the north, three on the south, and three on the west. The wall of the city had 12 foundations, and on them were the names of the 12 apostles of the Lamb. The angel talked with me, had a measuring rod of gold to measure the city, its gates and its walls. The city was laid out like a square, as long as it was wide. He measured the city with the rod and found it to be 12,000 stadia in length, and as wide and high as it is long. The angel measured the wall using human measurement, and it was 144 cubits thick. The wall was made of jasper and the city of pure gold, as pure as glass. The foundations of the city walls were decorated with every kind of precious stone. The first foundation was jasper, the second sapphire, the third agate, the fourth emerald, the fifth onyx, and the sixth ruby, the seventh crystallite, and the eighth beryl, the ninth topaz, the tenth turquoise, the eleventh jacinth, and the twelfth amethyst. The gates were twelve pearls, each gate made of one single pearl. The great street of the city was gold, as pure as transparent glass. I did not see a temple in the city, because the Lord God Almighty and the Lamb are its temple. This is the Garden of Eden. This is Jerusalem, as if they had actually successfully entered the Promised Land. But there's no temple where where you think it would be, because God himself is dwelling among them and does not need a temple. The city does not need the sun or the moon to shine on it, for the glory of God gives it its light, and the Lamb is its lamp. The nations will walk by its light, and the kings of the earth will bring their splendor into it. On no day will its gates ever be shut, for there will be no night there. The glory and honor of the nations will be brought into it. Nothing impure will ever enter it, nor will anyone who does what is shameful or deceitful, but only those whose names are written in the Lamb's book of life. Again, these people are holy, not because they've earned their salvation, but because their names are written in the Lamb's book of life, and they're living prepared to meet with God at all times. This, this last chapter is Eden restored. It says Eden restored. We saw the temple be restored and Jerusalem, now, now Eden. The angel, then the angel showed me the river of the water of life, as clear as crystal, flowing from the throne of God and the Lamb down the middle of the great street of the city. On each side of the river stood the tree of life, bearing 12 crops of fruit, yielding its fruit every month. And the leaves of the tree are for the healing of the nations. No longer will there be any curse. The throne of God and of the Lamb will be in the city and his servants will serve him. They will see his face, his name will be on their foreheads. There will be no more night. They will not need the light of a lamp or the light of the sun for the Lord God will give them light and they will reign forever and ever. Then the angel said to me, these words are trustworthy and true. The Lord, the God who inspires the prophets, sent his angel to show his servants the things that must take place. Jesus says, look, I am coming soon. Blessed is the one who keeps the words of the prophecy written in this scroll. I, John, am the one who heard and saw these things. And when I had heard and seen them, I fell down to worship at the feet of the angel who had been shown them to me. But he said to me, don't do that. I'm a fellow servant with you and with your fellow prophets and with all who keep the words of the scroll. Worship God. Then he told me, do not seal up the words of the prophecy of this scroll because the time is near. Let the one who does wrong continue to do wrong. Let the vile person continue to be vile. Let the one who does right continue to do right. Let the holy person continue to be holy. He's saying the master's been away for a long time. Let people continue in their way. And Jesus says, look, I'm coming soon. My reward is with me. I will give to each person according to what they have done. I am the alpha and the omega, the first and the last, the beginning and the end. Blessed are those who wash their robes, that they may have the right to the tree of life and may go through the gates into the city. Outside are the dogs, those who practice magic arts, the sexually immoral, the murderers, the idolaters, and everyone who loves and practices falsehood. I, Jesus, have sent my angel to give you this testimony for the churches. I am the root and the offspring of David, the bright morning star. The spirit and the bride say, come, and let the one who hears say, come, come. Let the one who is thirsty come, and let the one who wishes take the free gift of the water of life. I warn everyone who hears the words of the prophecy of this scroll, if anyone adds anything to them, God will add to that person the plagues described in the scroll. If anyone takes words away from the scroll of prophecy, God will take away from that person any share in the tree of life and in the holy city which are described in this scroll. He who testifies to these things says, yes, I'm coming soon. Amen. Come, Lord Jesus. And the final verse of the Bible. The grace of the Lord Jesus be with God's people. Amen. that's it. We have not allowed anything to be added to the words of this scroll, to, to to this book. But the invitation is clear. It's saying, you know, people are going to be, people that are sitting and living in sin and not following God and going darker and darker those people are being allowed to continue in their way. We don't see the wicked, we don't see wicked people punished. We see righteous people suffer all the time. We, the problem of pain: righteous people suffering, wicked people flourishing. Um, in the end, though, God is just allowing evil people to go their way and righteous people to go their way, and He's being patient, giving time for people to repent uh, of their sin. And He is, uh, but eventually, He's going to come. And the one who, whose name is written in the Lamb's book of life has nothing to fear because it's a free gift. And the invitation is, come. Let the one who hears this, come. Let the one who is thirsty, come, and let the one who wishes take the free gift of the water of life. This morning, if you, if you have not really made a decision to follow Jesus, to, to, to ask that your name be written in his book of life as the gift that God's offered to you, I invite you to do that. You know, people are, we think we have forever to, get every, to do whatever we want, but we don't. We have a limited amount of time. And in the end, that's going to be extremely important. You know, for the, for the people that are uh, kind of going darker and darker and darker, you know, I would, I would warn you, you know, come, drink of the water, receive the forgiveness of Jesus Christ, and walk in his ways. Um, but the, the point of all of this is that we be found ready. When Jesus comes, because we are the bride of Christ. In this church, we are a small part of the bride of Christ in the world, and um, and you know this is the future that God has for all of us, uh, that, which is in His Word to live in unbroken fellowship with God, in a paradise of God's making, to walk with God personally and, and deeply, um, and to and to, and to do the wor- continue the works that God. Has begun through Christ in the world today until the time when He comes back. So, I don't know about you. I suspect that many of you want to be found ready when Jesus comes. So, so whether this sermon is like a warning, like you need to like turn your life around and come to God and and ask for forgiveness and repent of your sins and 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 just begin to take hold of of what God has for you, or whether this sermon is a comfort to you because. You worry about what happens after you die, and you're concerned about this Lamb's Book of Life, and you hear here that um, it's a free it's a free gift. Um, and maybe the sermon, maybe the sermon in this text of Revelation inspires you to take hold of your days differently, to not live, uh, to not to not waste your time, to not waste your life, but to to, but to spend yourself for Jesus and His kingdom. So, however God's word is speaking to you? Um, the invitation is there. Come to the fountain, come to the river, come to the water of life, eat from the tree of life, be saved, turn from, turn from those distractions and sins that keep you away from God, and throw off all the things that are entangling you, the sins that are so easily entangle all of us, throw off those things, and come to Jesus, come to Jesus. It's a real come to Jesus moment. That's, I like that phrase, actually. Thank you for bearing with me through a, little, a few extra minutes here. I'm, I'm 10 minutes behind today, so that's my, that's my deal. I, I woke up that way. Um, I want to pray for you. Heavenly Father, I thank you for this church. We are your bride. You are our bridegroom. You have paid the price for us by giving your life for our sins. The Father has approved of the price you paid. And then you have built a room for us, a mansion In your father's house, and then you said to us, "In my father's house are many rooms. I have gone there to prepare a place for you." Father, for those that have not received salvation through Christ, through the gift of Christ, who are slipping away in in a bad and dark direction, I pray, Lord, that you would interrupt that, that they would not continue doing these things, um, and (laughs) and, uh, that they would be able to turn around and receive the gift of salvation. And that their names could be written in the Lamb's book of life. So Lord, that's the the first group that people would would receive your salvation. And secondly, for the rest of us, Lord, that we we would wake up to the fact that we do not have unlimited time. That the decisions we make today are actually much more significant than we know. For the time is short. And Father, I pray that we would live in the hope of the resurrection, which is that you have crushed Satan's head that there will be a day when every knee will bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, every tongue will declare, Jesus Christ is Lord, to the glory of God the Father. But we want to be among those who are saying that right now, not just in service on Sunday morning, but with our days, our minutes, during our weeks, and everything we do, we would live for you in the unbroken fellowship you've given us through Jesus. And truly, God, that is exactly how you've described it, that we, have, we can approach your throne of grace with confidence, because of the finished work of Jesus on the cross. So that all who are thirsty, come, God. Thank you for saying to us, behold, I stand at the door and knock. Open the door and let me in. We will share a meal together. Thank you for being so charitable, so kind, so gracious, so merciful to all of us, Lord. And for the way that you're working in our church to bring us deeper and deeper into the life of Christ. I lift up uh, my brothers and sisters here and I pray that your blessing upon them that we'd be able to see your glory in creation today as we sung about earlier. Just worship you for the beautiful new thing that you are doing. Behold, you are making all things new. Lift all these things up in Jesus' name. Amen. You are dispersed to go and be the church.